I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey there, it's Luke. Uh, we're going to get started with the Livewire podcast in just a moment. First, though, how about a look behind the podcast curtain? By that, I mean it is the start of our fall member drive. And if you listen to this show on a regular basis, you know that when you tune into Livewire, you tend to hear conversations that you won't hear anywhere else on public radio. You tend to hear music that you might not hear anywhere else on public radio, comedy, um, thought-provoking interviews, all kinds of uh, great stuff that we're so proud to bring to you week in and week out. The thing you don't hear when you're listening to Livewire, though, is all of the stuff that went into making each episode happen. I'm talking about some real basic things like microphones. Our technical director, Molly Pettit, is at the theater hours and hours before the show, setting up all of the audio gear so that it is ready to go and in working condition when the show commences. Uh, then, when the show is underway, there's the question of who's going to come on stage and talk to me. Well, those people have to be identified months in advance. So we've got some folks that are always looking for who our next great guest is. Then they've got to make contact with them and figure out how to get that person to Portland, which usually means putting them on an airplane. And then once the show has actually been recorded, we have folks who edit the show down and polish it up. We have a, a person whose job it is to just make sure that the audio is the highest quality that it can be before it comes out of your radio speaker or your podcast player into your earbuds. Um, all of this stuff happens behind the scenes, and all of this stuff costs money. And yet... We put this podcast up on the internet and this radio show out on public radio stations absolutely for free. And we wouldn't have it any other way. This is what we love doing. We have more than a quarter of a million people who tune into Livewire each week. And we ask that every single person listening to this, in whatever form or fashion they are, give to Livewire. Because Livewire is member-supported. Um, if you like this show, I'm asking you, during our fall member drive to say yes. Say yes to being part of this community of Livewire supporters who give a small amount of money each month to keep this thing going. Uh, how about $10 a month? 
$10 a month from everybody listening to my voice would set Livewire up for many, many years to come. Uh, that's all we're asking from you. Not, not a huge amount of money, but just something each month that can keep this whole operation going. Head over to livewireradio.org to donate. And if you donate right now, we're going to send you an awesome pair of custom Livewire socks as a way of saying thank you. Livewire is listener-supported and a non-profit organization. And i got to tell you, we're all in this thing together. We, the people who make the show, and you, the people who listen to the show. So thanks for being part of it. Head over to livewireradio.org or click on the link in the show description and help support us this fall. Thank you so much. Now take a listen to this Livewire. Welcome to Livewire. How's it going? I'm Luke Burbank. Hope you're having a good week. We have a great radio show in store for you. Our theme this hour is The Truth Hurts, because sometimes it does. And we've got some amazing guests who are going to tackle that topic, including Cheryl Strayed, the writer of Wild, among other things. Uh, we've also got comedian and all-around genius person Baratunde Thurston on the show, which I always look forward to. Um, it's been almost exactly one year since the last time we had Baratunde on the show. And I was thinking about that because the episode that he was on a year ago is an episode of the show that none of us on the Livewire staff will ever be able to forget. Uh, take a listen as to why. We traveled out to New York City to do the show out there for the first time. This was a very exciting, ambitious thing for us. And everything was going pretty well, but there was one hitch. And that is that the recording equipment that we use was delayed for some reason. And it got to the theater at kind of the last minute. So it was like a real scramble to try to unpack it and kind of set it up and make sure it was working. And like even right before showtime, it was kind of touch and go. But the crowd was starting to fill into the theater. So we were like, we got to do this. It's uh, like Lauren Michaels, the uh, executive producer of Saturday Night Live. He kind of famously says, we don't do the show because we're ready. We do the show because it's 1130 at night on Saturday. <laughs> and there's a certain component of that when you're doing a show like this. So we start the show, and it is going amazing. The guests are delightful. The crowd is engaged and enthusiastic. I am crushing it from a hosting standpoint. I'm, this is just a statement of fact. I was just crushing it. But every time I would glance off stage, I would see a look of terror in the eyes of the Livewire technical team. I didn't really know what was going on. At one point, we had to stop the show to make sure that this recording equipment had actually like recorded the show. It appeared to have, so we, we sort of got back to it and we wrapped the show up and it was, it was just such a great time. Uh, we said goodbye to the audience and thanked them and, and they went on home and we said goodbye to the guests and it was just the Livewire team in this theater. There was maybe like six or seven of us. And this is the point where somebody had to come and tell me the truth, <laughs> even though they knew it was gonna hurt me real bad. And the truth was that despite our best efforts, 
we had not been able to actually record the show. <laughs> like, there was a digital folder, and it was supposed to have digital files in it that were the recordings of the show, and there were no files anywhere to be found. Meaning that we had basically traveled across the country and set this whole thing up, and there was nobody except us that even knew it happened or would ever know about it. So to say that it was kind of a low moment for us as a team would be kind of an understatement, but it was kind of incredible because I feel like we were bummed out about it for like about one and a half minutes. And then we sort of went into problem solving mode. We kind of formed this little circle and everybody was just coming up with ideas and solutions. Nobody was turning on anybody. Nobody was getting dispirited. It was like, okay, well, what do we have? Could we get some of these people to come back tomorrow? Maybe we'll interview them on the street. We'll do like a thing with that. Okay, let's try that. Do we have old recordings that we could reintegrate into this? Maybe. So we come up with this plan. And it was just this amazing moment of creativity coming from all these people. I was so proud of us, I have to be honest with you, as a little radio operation. So we get this kind of semi-plan formulated. And then we do the next natural thing, which is we go directly to the bar. <laughs> and we get a round of drinks. And we raise these little shot glasses and we say, to the best radio show that no one will ever hear. <laughs> and we do our little shots. And I have to say, like all joking aside, this moment was kind of a revelation for me because if you're talking about a, a radio show like we do, not recording it is literally the worst case scenario. <laughs> and yet, the worst case scenario had unfolded and I'm looking out at this crew of people I work with, a mildly drunk crew of people at this point, and I realized it's gonna be okay. We're gonna figure this out one way or the other. And I, I sort of realized that like, so often in life, when the worst case scenario actually arrives, sometimes it's not as bad as we think it's going to be. So we finished up our drinks and we, we sort of headed back to our respective hotels and like that was that for like 11 and a half hours. And that is when I got a phone call from our executive producer and she was talking, but I couldn't understand what she was saying because somebody in the room was screaming and also sort of crying. <laughs> and that somebody was our technical director, Molly, who was staring at her laptop, wherein, for reasons that we literally don't understand to this day, the recordings had reappeared. <laughs> that folder had been checked and rechecked. Tech support had been called. These files did not exist until the moment they decided to rematerialize. We named the event the Livewire Miracle. It's now a, a borderline religious holiday for the show. That's actually not true because it's only been one year, but our executive producer, Robin, did email us on the exact day and wish us a happy Livewire Miracle Day. I'm kind of pushing for it to be a holiday. I actually think that this should go beyond just our radio show staff and this should be a national thing, like happy Livewire Miracle Day. I think this could totally be a thing if you guys want to agree to help. Here's how it would work. 
you get to celebrate Livewire Miracle Day for one day, any day out of the year of your choosing. And it's a day for believing that the unbelievable might actually happen, right? So like, if you have a day where you really need like, I wonder why this is making me so emotional. <laughs> if you have a day, I th you know what I think it is? I think it's because there's a lot of days where a lot of us feel a little hopeless. And I think the particular world we live in uh, makes it feel that way. And I think that sometimes on those days, you might just be like, damn it, I'm taking a live wire miracle day. <laughs> okay, but that being said, Neil, we are recording this, right? Okay, because like I believe in miracles, but I think you get one every 10 years and we definitely used ours up. So let's just not mess around at all. All right, we got a great show. Let's get our first guest out here. Our first guest came to the attention of the wide world when her true story of self-discovery and extremely painful blisters, wild, burst onto the literary scene. She's also adept at dealing out the truth, even when it hurts, via her advice podcast, Dear Sugars, that she co-hosts with Steve Almond. Her latest contribution is to the book of essays titled Nasty Women. Please welcome Cheryl Strayed to Livewire. everyone. Hi. Hi. Cheryl, we, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I love coming here. We love having you here. I thank have to you. say, we get very excited. Sometimes I get emotional just thinking about you being here. I know. I think that's why you were crying. Yeah, I, I'm exactly. so good at making people cry. Well, you do that. have a certain knack for being uh, extremely genuine with your emotions. And also you practice sort of radical empathy with your uh, advice podcast that right. you host. Um, what do you mean when you say you're going to use radical empathy for the people that are uh, calling in and uh, emailing into your advice podcast? Well, that's really a phrase that my co-host, Steve Almond, came up with. He wrote that in the introduction to my book, Tiny Beautiful Things, which is a collection of those Dear Sugar columns. And I think what he was referring to is this thing that I've always tried to do, whether I'm writing in an advice column or writing a memoir or a novel, is to really tell the deepest truth uh, about what it means to be human. And that contains all of human emotion, the hard times, the good times, uh, the, the confusing times. And that's what I've always been interested in as a human and a writer. Um, this uh, new book of essays, Nasty Women, yes. your, your chapter, your essay is, is about your feelings when Hillary Clinton lost the election. And you write that it, that moment had you really thinking about a conversation you'd had with your grandfather, who you love, yeah, uh, in Alabama a long yes. time ago. Why did that conversation come to mind? Well, it was interesting. Like so many people who voted for Hillary Clinton, that that day after the election, I woke in shock and grief. Really, I, I've never cried so much over an election as I did. In fact, I'd never cried over an election at all until this one. And what, what happened is, I, what kept bubbling to the surface is 
this experience I had with my grandfather when I was about 11. We were driving down the street in Huntsville, Alabama, where he lived, and we passed a, a sign. that Somebody was running for office, maybe city commissioner or mayor, and it, was, it had a woman's name on the sign. And I asked my grandfather if he would vote for her, and he said, of course I won't vote for her. She's a woman. Women don't get to be leaders. Women can't lead. Women aren't good at that. And it was so confusing to me as, as an ambitious young woman who wanted to do and be everything, to have this man I loved and admired tell me, you know, really without trying to be mean and without apology, that I didn't get to do that. And what I was struck by was, you know, this isn't an uncommon experience. I don't think there's a woman listening or a woman in the room here who hasn't been told at some point in her life that girls don't do that and women don't do that or we shouldn't or we can't or we won't. And so this, this is why, in part, I felt Hillary Clinton's loss so personally. It felt like an affront to women, to me. Can I just ask uh, about your relationship with your, with your grandfather? Because you also write uh, in this book that, that he sort of said it was too bad that you had gotten the brains. That's right. I mean, those are like, those could be real deal breakers for other people yeah. as far as the relationship goes. How, <laughs> I mean, how, how did you, how do you sort of separate out the parts of this person that you love with these things that are just basic rejections of your existence because you're a female? Yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's what sexism is and that's what misogyny is. So yes, what he was talking about is I have a younger brother and I excelled at school and was always, you know, doing well and getting A's and all of these things. And my brother wasn't. And, and my grandfather said, it's just such a shame that the brains were wasted on Cheryl instead of, because she's a girl, instead of given to the boy, which is just terrible, you know, for both me and my brother, right? Um. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that's, that's really kind of a double dip on yeah, hurting. Yeah, yeah. The people in your family. But, you know, it was all about gender. You know, he really did believe, and in fairness to him, I mean, I, 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 I'm not happy he said that to me, but in fairness to him, he grew up in a time in the culture where it, it really was. I mean, people would tell women, well, you don't need to go to college because you don't need a job. You just need a man. And, of course, I had a very different idea about my life. And I think that, you know, you, you really point to something that I think is a question that a lot of people are asking right now. And that is, so how do you love your grandfather who tells you, you, you know, are, you know your, your ambitions are wasted and that I don't believe in you? And I think that a lot of people are struggling with that paradox in their personal relationships right now, their family relationships in particular. It, uh, for the pod, my podcaster, Sugars, we are just, we have so many emails from people saying, how will I survive Thanksgiving with my Trump voting uncle? You know what? Or, how will I, yeah. This is a hashtag, very relevant question to a lot of the people who are listening to this right now. And it's a perfect way to make them listen through the break. Right. Because we got to take a short break. But then when we come back, I want to actually get your answer to that. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. We have Cheryl Strayed here. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater, and we'll be right back. Livewire gets support from Fully. Hey, do you sit motionless behind a desk all day? I know. It's not great, right? It's why everybody these days is getting those standing desks, because your body is meant to move, and no amount of after-work yoga and downward dogging and cross-fitting or whatever you do can undo the damage of being at your desk all day. That is where Fully comes in. Based in Portland, Oregon, they make and sell desks and chairs that have changed my life. 
because right now I'm actually sitting on a TikTok stool as I record this and my body is engaged and the blood is flowing and I am so creative. Can't you just hear it in my voice how creative I am? They're also the folks responsible for the Jarvis sit-stand desk that I use when I am hosting Livewire at the Alberta Rose Theater and they are the exclusive U.S. carrier of the Capisco chair that I also use when I am hosting the show. Listen, I'm not telling you not to do yoga. I'm not even telling you not to wear yoga pants. Also, say namaste if you want. I'm just saying, you don't have to do your body in by sitting still all day in a traditional chair in front of a traditional desk. Head over to fully.com slash livewire to find out about all the cool stuff they're doing. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. My name is Luke Burbank. We are talking to Cheryl Strayed. Our theme this week is The Truth Hurts. And we're talking to Cheryl before the break about uh, an essay that you have in this new book of essays called Nasty Women. It's a variety of, of, of stories and experiences based around uh, being a woman in the current political climate in this country. Um, and you were you were talking about how your Dear Sugars podcast that you and Steve Allman co-host, which is an advice show, basically, that you have a lot of people reaching out to you on the subject of their emotions related to the, the, the current political scene. What, what are people saying to you and, and what sort of advice are you giving them? It's very complicated when you love somebody or, or you're deeply connected to somebody, whether that be a sibling or an, an aunt or a parent or even a child in some cases who really holds very different political values. And so we are, we're getting these letters that, from people who are saying, I think I'm going to end this relationship because I can't any longer listen to this bigotry or uh, this hatred or, the, or just these disagreements, these misunderstandings. Other people who are saying, how do I maintain that relationship? Is, d does, do those family bonds take precedence over political beliefs? And you know, the, tr the truth hurts, the truth is also complicated. And so there's no one answer. But when Steve and I are grappling with these questions, we're always asking people to truly, you know, to try to go to their deepest truth. Sometimes it actually isn't worth it to keep a relationship if it's wounding you every time you're interacting with that person. Other times, it's a good idea to negotiate, make an agreement, say, we're not going to talk about this over Thanksgiving dinner. We're going to talk about... Football. Do people talk about football? Yeah. Uh, incessantly, yeah, if you're in my yeah. family. I, I never talk about football. But, yeah. you know, we could talk about books, for right. example. Non-political books. Not, not nasty women. See, this is... But this is exactly the challenge with that, is that almost every topic can end up being a stand-in for this very fundamental disagreement that a lot of this country is having, right? Mm -hmm. about, about the current president and about... Uh, if he's finally standing up for this country or if he's making this country a, a, a scary place for a lot of people. And you could be talking about mashed potatoes and that could somehow make it, it could turn into a political conversation really quick. Yeah, and I think this is a good time not to have dinner with those people. You know, I, I, you know the, sometimes avoiding that situation in which you have to be truthful is really the best decision. This is why, you know, sometimes you say, you know, we're going to go to Bali, actually, this year. 
Um, and or, then just go dark on and Facebook. Just go, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there or there's nothing wrong. What's interesting is it's almost like when you get in a fight and you need to take a break from each other. I think that this is what's happening really in an, on the national stage right now. It's not that we disagree with each other left and right. That we actually dislike each other in, in, to the extreme. And that's it's never been quite that true before as, as it is now. And sometimes it's nice to step away from it. And so your point, we have Cheryl Strayed here, uh, writer extraordinaire and contributor to this new book, Nasty Women. Um, your point is that it's not like in the seeking of the truth, the answer isn't to pick at that disagreement with somebody else. Let's say it's your, uh, your dad or a loved one. It's not to try to win that argument or bring them over to your side as much as it is identifying troublesome situations and trying to avoid them? Yeah. You know, I think so. Because the fact of the matter is, is most of us have not won a political argument with somebody, right? I mean, the thing I'm so struck by when I think about the people who voted for Trump is, is, they, is how much sense they do not make. I will say, I also get the sense that they think the same thing about me. Right. That we aren't even having, we're, we, we don't even have the same facts. And so you're never going to win that kind of argument. And so my best advice is to be the person you wish were president. Have, have that kind of strength of character. Have that kindness. Have that compassion and empathy. Have that... Uh, obligation to to our democracy, um, get out there, make the change, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And I think that that's for me when you talk about, you know, the live wire miracle or everything's gone bad and how do we make it good again, is that we keep the faith that goodness will persist against all odds, against any administration. <laughs> Your book, Tiny Beautiful Things, it was adapted into a play. It's, it's, yes. it's at the Public Theater in New York. I think it's, is that the second time yes. that it's been there? This was, this book, it started out as an anonymous advice column that you were writing. For, how, how for does, zero pay, for nothing, yeah. <laughs> how does this get turned into a, like a play where people are saying lines to each other? It's, it's a crazy thing. So I got an email from uh, Tommy Kale, Thomas Kale, who is the director of Hamilton, um, I haven't and, heard of it. Is that a, <laughs> it's like a new play that's just coming out? Well, here's what's so funny. When he emailed me, Hamilton was in rehearsals. And so he says to me, you know, I'm, I'm rehearsing this play. It's about this guy, Alexander Hamilton. He's trying to explain to me, you know, who this, you know, this historical figure is. And I knew, I knew who he was. But he said, it's, you know, I'm making this play. And I'm interested in making Tiny Beautiful Things into a play. And I dragged his email into my, you know, to, re to reply someday box and forgot about it for like six months. The dude who directed Hamilton was in your maybe get back to <laughs> folder? But he, he wasn't, he, I didn't, you know, he, Hamilton wasn't yeah. out yet, right? right. So uh, then Nia Vardalis of my big vet Greek wedding right. fame went onto my like Facebook page and said, Cheryl, my friend Tommy Kale and I are trying to get in touch with you. We want to make a play of your book. And I just happened to be in, in LA that day and I met Nia for coffee and we talked about this idea. And the three of us proceeded from there and began workshopping the script and, and making this play. And it came out, as you said, at the, at the Public Theater uh, late last year for its first run. And now it's an encore run. And it's been 
really tremendous and interesting and fun. And what's been so interesting to me is the, when you know, Tiny Beautiful Things came out, so many people told me it helped them personally in their lives because that book is full of people struggling and grappling and trying to heal. And what's happened with the play, it, it came out in this political context. It came out right after the election. And so many people are seeing that play now and, and hearing a different kind of story about empathy and healing, a, a sort of national empathy, if you will, um, that, that really so many of us are grappling with. And so you see people coming out of the play, they're not just crying for themselves, they're crying really for the state of our nation. Will there be a point where you've literally made every American cry? Are you just working your way through the time zones? <laughs> that's, my, that's, my, that's my goal, that's my main ambition. I mean, between the book and the film and now the play, um, <laughs> and it's why you're the perfect guest for this episode of the show. Our theme is The Truth Hurts, and we've had Cheryl Strayed here. Thank you, Cheryl, so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you, thank you so much. All right, Cheryl, you are obviously a beloved writer. You're known for your radical empathy when it comes to your advice podcast. And thankfully, you, you use your powers for good because when writers want to put someone down, they can really do it because they know so many words and stuff, <laughs> right? So, right? so this is what we did. You're still following me? Okay. Okay, so I far. got kind of technical there for a minute. This is what we did. We, con we collected up some real actual insults from writers that were aimed at other writers. It's very sad to see the writer on writer. Oh, it's terrible. No. You know, yeah. crimes. It's just heartbreaking. So we thought that as a writer and an advice columnist, you'd be the perfect person to weigh in on these actual sick burns that were put down. And we want to know <laughs> if they were deserved or if they were over the line. It is an exercise that we're calling... Literally literary burns. <laughs> so these are these are real things that uh, that writers said about other writers, and we want to find out if you if you think it was deserved or if it was a little over the line. Okay. Okay. So here we go. H.G. Wells, mm -hmm. right? Uh, author of The Invisible Man and other things like that. He said of George Bernard Shaw that George Bernard Shaw was like, quote, an idiot child screaming in a hospital. <laughs> is well, that a sweet burn or is that over know, the line? He probably was. That doesn't mean he's not a good writer, right? I, I would say... They were having fun, right? So, so someone can be like an idiot child screaming in a hospital, and they can also be a good writer. Multiple things can be true. They can be a good lot of things. I mean, you're married, right? Yes. Yes, so we know our spouses can sometimes be all, described in all kinds of ways that are both positive and negative. <laughs> you take this one from here straight. Uh, I'm going to slowly back away. From this is, response. What I mean is I'm going to assume that these guys actually loved each other right. deeply so they, could, so they could jokingly say critical things. Is there something cathartic or even good for a relationship, you think, whether it's writer to writer or, uh, you know, spouse to spouse, of kind of letting the steam out a little bit oh, yeah. of saying something that's a little bit of a burn on the person you're with? Yes, especially if it's done with love. I mean, I, I think that any healthy relationship has to have conflict and truth. And sometimes that truth is 
is painful to hear, right? Um, it has been in my life, that's yes. for sure. <laughs> Even things that were said very nicely, I've managed to turn those into painful insults that I right. still think about. Yeah. Um, here's what William Faulkner said about Ernest Hemingway. He said, Hemingway has, he's never been known to use a word that might send a reader to the dictionary. <laughs> But see, here again, I love both Faulkner and Hemingway, but he's, Faulkner's right about that. I mean, Hemingway is famous for that, that kind of minimalism when it comes to, he doesn't use fancy words. He uses very, you know, ordinary language, which really made him in so many, I mean, he was really a stylist of the people because everyone understood what he was saying. Faulkner, great writer, sometimes confusing. Wow. You turned that burn right back around on Bill Faulkner. All right. <laughs> Uh, Oscar Wilde casually said, uh, <laughs> there are two ways of disliking poetry. Of course, Oscar Wilde said like the like bitchiest burn yeah. that's ever been burned. He said, there are two ways of disliking poetry. One way is to dislike it. The other is to read Alexander Pope. Oh, ooh, yeah. No, that's mean. That's mean. That's over the you line. Know, that's, that's, that's how Oscar Wilde, you know, was, right? I mean, this is also why we love him. Right. I, I, I'm pretty sure this story is apocryphal, but I wish so much it was true that Oscar Wilde, after he had been sort of disgraced and he's, he's living in this pretty terrible flat and he's at the end of his life, right? Yeah. And he looks around and he says, either this wallpaper goes or I do. <laughs> and then he was done. Yeah. How about this one? This is uh, Virginia Woolf. Okay. This is Virginia Woolf talking about James Joyce and specifically his work, Ulysses. Virginia Woolf described it as, it's the work of a queasy undergraduate scratching his pimples. Whoa. I know. Did she say that? That's what it says on this script I'm reading. Uh, oh, wow. I like it. I like it. I'm for it. Even, yeah? Yeah. You know, it's nothing about Ulysses. It's all about Virginia Woolf because she is like one of the original nasty women. And I love that she, you know, said that. <laughs> Well, you've enlightened us here. Cheryl Strayed, thank you so much thank for you. being on Livewire. Thanks, guys. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market who is committed to ensuring wild-caught seafood is held to standards of sustainability and animal welfare. Because raised well should be a compliment that applies to people and fish alike. Learn more at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Our next guest describes himself as a futurist comedian, which means he already knows if the stand-up comedy he's about to perform went well. That's a mind-bender, people. He's also an Emmy-nominated writer for things like The Onion and The Daily Show. His active citizenship column appears in Medium. Please welcome back to Livewire, the amazing Baratunde Thurston. Great to be back. Yes. Yes, I, uh, I'm glad to be here. I travel a lot in my life uh, for business and for pleasure. Last year, my girlfriend and I went on a vacation 
to Spain and France because we are fancy people. Uh, and my girlfriend is white, and I tell you that for three reasons. First, to brag. Uh, second, to apologize. And third, to reveal that I'm a racist. Uh, We were having a great time three days into the trip. She had a terrible accident. She fell down the steps. She broke one ankle, sprained the other ankle. And if it sounds bad for her, you can imagine my pain. Because I had to decide, do I leave her there? You know? It's not what I signed up for. I, I signed up for a relaxation, not driving Miss Daisy around Europe. That's a, that's a different movie. You know, I didn't buy that ticket. Uh, no, we were really impressed with the Spanish healthcare system, because they have one. And <laughs> I know, it's cheap applause. They, uh, we got x-rays, we got the cast, we got drugs. And on the way out, I said, how much is this going to cost us? And the doctors looked at me, uh, and they said, healthcare is a right, not a privilege. What do you think we are, a bunch of savages? Uh, <laughs> Or at least that's what I heard. I think they just laughed in my face, actually, because no one ever asks that kind of question over there. I was actually even less prepared for the response we'd get when we got back to the United States. And as an interracial couple, I'm used to walking around our neighborhood and getting certain looks. And to explain the neighborhood a bit, I describe it as temporarily black. Uh, we, we live in a, in a part of Brooklyn, and anywhere black people live in a major American city, it's temporary, right? We're, we're sort of holding places for the white people yet to return. Uh, it's like the people who you pay to stay in line to get the iPhone, right? But that's, that's black people in cities nowadays. We're the sort of seat warmers for the great return. So as we're walking around our temporarily black neighborhood at Crown Heights, I am used to getting an occasional side eye from one of my black sisters who looks at me like, there goes another brother with a white chick. The problem is when you're pushing your white chick in a wheelchair, <laughs> it kind of changes the calculations. And I wasn't sure if they were more impressed by my compassion than disappointed by my race treachery, or if they just thought I was her orderly and they were proud to see a brother with a job. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> Either way, I, I very much preferred it. So. My girlfriend's all healed up. She can walk, she can run, but when we're in Crown Heights, I put her in that damn wheelchair. Because <laughs> you gotta know, it's not always about you in a relationship. <laughs> we do live together. It's a big step, an even bigger step we've taken, though, is we started a family. Um, and it's, a, it's not a traditional family. It's an Amazon family, uh, which means she can access my prime benefits by using <laughs> her own damn credit card. It's very exciting. And I knew we were ready for that step. I looked her in the eyes. I said, baby, I love you. I turned that laptop toward. I just need you to log into your Amazon account right now. I want to share my Kindle library with you. And it was a really, really big step. And it's really an honor to have our union recognized by Amazon, one of the largest unofficial governments in the world. Um, <laughs> And one day, maybe we'll be an Apple iCloud family, or even a Google family, fingers crossed. <laughs> I, uh, I think about these big tech companies, and it actually does make me a bit nervous how much they know about us. I, I call them GAFA, uh, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon. Like, between those, 
if I'm feeling charitable, specific Northwest, Gotham, you can throw Microsoft in there, uh, just for old time's sake. But they're basically like data extraction industries, these, these companies. And, and Google, for example, knows everything about what we fear, right? Because we type it into that little box like no one will ever find out. <laughs> and it turns out mostly we fear cancer, right? It's like, is this cancer? Does this look like cancer? Will this give me cancer? Facebook, on the other hand, knows everyone we know uh, and everything we like, every movie, every book, every artist we've ever appreciated or been presumed to appreciate. And they are, all of these companies, aggregating like all this data. We're basically training them. We're like unpaid interns teaching the machines how to think, teaching them to know what a cat looks like and what traffic is like at 4 p.m. and what bacon feels like inside, which is wonderful. <laughs> But I get really frustrated, especially on the Facebook side, because it only goes one way with them, right? We have like the biggest social platform in the world, and if you really think about it, it was developed by like anti-social people. <laughs> the kid with no friends has redefined the word friend for everybody. And they're always suggesting friends. You, know, you log into Facebook, and it's like, hey, you have 20 people in common with this stranger. You're probably friends, right? Just click it, click it. You know you want to be friends. And I would respect that game more if they had suggested unfriends. Because they know the truth. They know you've been connected for five years and never messaged Jeremy, never liked a single photo. You're probably not friends, right? <laughs> Just let it go. Like we used to. People are meant to be forgotten. That is my time. Thank you. <laughs> Baratunde, Thurston. One of the things that I've really loved about, about talking to you and reading your work and kind of uh, watching you over the years is that you're so funny, but also you're such an obviously thoughtful person, particularly about technology and the future. Did one of these start first for you? The, they seem um, like your two kind of interests. The, the comedy came later. I was definitely into technology earlier. My mother was a computer programmer for the government. She had no college degree. Uh, yeah, she managed to hustle her way into this lane, and that opened up a lot of doors for me and my sister. We had a computer in our house from a really young age. We're like, it's definitely the only house in the hood with a computer back in like 82. What kind of computer was it? Uh, we had an Apple IIe. We had an... Yep. We had, yeah, yeah. we had an Apple IIe clone called a laser, and my dad hand-built a locking cabinet because wow. he thought someone was going to break into our house and steal our Apple IIe clone. <laughs> and this was in 2007. That's, that's crazy. And was that, I mean, the access to the computer, did that sort of shape the trajectory of your life? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like um, growing up bilingual. You know, and so I had this other language that I could speak, which was like bleep bloop. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it shaped me because I always had, um, I had something to do with my time <laughs> that wasn't totally destructive. I had different ways to have fun. I also had different ways to create. And I think the more I got fluent in computer or tech, so to speak, the more I could adapt other stuff I wanted to do around that. And so it became another extension of how I lived and how I thought and how I expressed myself. Uh, tell me about this column that you're writing on Medium. It's yeah. called Active Citizenship. What's, what's it all about? It's a, it's a, it's a theory. So first, uh, Medium is uh, experimenting with this radical idea of paying people to write. Um, it's, an old, it's an old concept. 
where labor is rewarded with um, money. And it's not disruptive or anything. Uh, it's kind of old, old-fashioned. But they're giving it a shot. Yeah. And I'm honored to be a part of this, this crazy experiment. Um, and so, so I'm a columnist there. The, the idea of what I'm writing about is still kind of gelling. But I wanted to try to keep a little foot in history and a foot in the future and talk about things that matter to me and what we could do about it on top of just ranting. So I visited Rikers Island, which is the jail complex in New York City. And I wrote about that visit in a two-part uh, series because I've also joined the campaign to close it. I think the way that jail is operated is terrible. It's an island. It's remote. And we don't always recognize where our tax dollars are going. I, I uh, met my Nazi on my vacation uh, recently. Uh, Intentionally? So I, I did not seek him out, oddly enough. <laughs> he just happened to be on the train next to me in England. This is on the national rail system. And I wrote about the, the effect of not really knowing what to do in that situation and not actively confronting, but getting very alert physically about what might come next. And then also just thinking about the history that got us to that moment. You know, my girlfriend's father lost his father in World War II, literally fighting Nazis. And he's memorialized on a wall over there that we visited that same week before this encounter. So when history sometimes has a way of crashing into the present and the future is a very foggy next step. And so I wrote about, about that uh, and also some ways to, to, to piggyback on our earlier guest, radical empathy. How do we keep more moving forward? Knowing that there are these horrible thoughts, knowing that there are these dark movements, we can't give into it. What can we do for ourselves to add more love than the hate that is always going to be a constant part of our reality? I noticed that you uh, you retweeted something that uh, Kumail Nanjiani yeah. had been tweeting out. Kumail is um, a fabulous actor and comedian. He's uh, one of the stars of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. He has a great movie called The Big Sick, which See I the highly Sick. recommend. See it. Um, it is actually fantastic. But what this thread that he had tweeted out was yeah. about how because he works on Silicon Valley, he's often taken to these tours of you know these disruptive tech yeah. startups. And those startups are rarely asking themselves, should we be mm -hmm. developing this thing that's very invasive in someone's life or allows for all kinds of possible negative consequences? They only ask, can we mm -hmm. do it? And Kumail was tweeting that when he asks them, hey, is this a good idea? It's like the first time anyone's ever asked them yeah. that, uh, that question. Yeah. Um, why was that something that was important to you? Why did you want to retweet that and, and, and signal amp? Yeah, so I quote retweeted him. Uh, joyfully welcoming him to this, this club of uh, many of us. Look, I'm, I grew up such a tech enthusiast. I used to write just unabashedly pro-tech columns about Windows 3.1 and Windows. I literally reviewed Windows 95 for USA Today back in 1995. So I was excited. Anyone who amplifies this concern is to be celebrated and reamplified in my view. The future's way too big and too important to leave it to technologists alone. And just because you're a good software engineer doesn't make you a good social engineer. And we have handed over the keys, not just to our automobiles, but to our relationships, to our commerce, to our democracy, <clears throat> uh, to a bunch of people who don't give a poop about it. It's not their job. And they have a business model. And so the, the things that they build are designed to return like 10x multiples on some rich guy's pile of money to make it a richer pile of money. That, is, that should not drive democracy, 
All right, that can drive markets. It shouldn't drive democracy. It shouldn't drive justice. And I, I think the rest of us, to the extent that it's possible, like if you care about uh, justice of any kind, if you care about women's rights, if you care about trans rights, if you care about the earth, our only home, we all need to keep our eye on like the next battle because it's actually happening now. And if you think it's kind of cute and funny the way Facebook recommends friends to you or the ads that seem to follow you, like Mojave slippers are stalking me across the internet <laughs> right now, but that's the genteel version. That's the, the gentle version. The, the horrible version is what we saw with Russia and the election. The horrible version is I won't see a job advertised because it's targeted away from me. And I won't see an apartment as a comedian. or a house as a comedian. Anti-comedy discrimination yeah, it's real. is ripping this country apart right now. Yeah. And nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody, yeah. We're too politically correct. We don't want to talk about it. But I'm going to be brave. All yeah. right? Truth hurts. Anti-comedy bias. <laughs> That's what Baratunde Thurston came to talk about. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder, but with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at alaskaairlines.com. Uh, this is Livewire from PRI. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, and we will be right back. Hey, it's Luke. This week, we'd like to send out a special thanks to Tyler Benjamin of Portland, Oregon, and Kenneth Nay of Chicago, Illinois. Tyler and Kenneth are part of the Livewire member community. They've generously supported us with a monthly donation, and we are so thankful for their support. It is genuinely, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, it is genuinely what lets us keep doing the show, is donations from fine folks like Tyler and Kenneth. So thank you so much. And we're hoping you'll want to follow their lead and join us as a Livewire member during our fall member drive. Uh, if you want to do that, you can click on the show bio or visit us online at livewireradio.org. And thank you. Well, hello there, Livewire podcast listener. It is I, Luke. Um, listen, I think we can both agree on one thing. The Livewire podcast is amazing. How do I know that you agree with that? Because you're listening to it right now. But did you know it could be amazinger? That's right. We are looking for your feedback so that we can make an even better podcast for you. And also so we can attract the right kind of sponsors to the show and maybe the right kind of grant opportunities. So we wanted to find out some information about you. That's right. What do you like? What don't you like? We just want to find out what makes you the beautiful, amazing Livewire podcast listener that you are. So if you could do us a kindness and head over to livewireradio.org backslash podcast and click on the big red survey button at the top of the page. It takes like 15 seconds to take the survey. I don't mean that figuratively. We've timed it. It actually takes 15 seconds. And if you do take this 15-second survey, you will be entered in a drawing to win a Livewire totes bag. Yes, it is a tote bag that says totes on it. And also a Livewire t-shirt. Those are two amazing products that you might win 
just for taking 15 seconds out of your busy day. And again, it'll help us make an even better podcast for you. Again, it's livewireradio.org backslash podcast. And thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. Our musical guest this hour is a master mixologist. What she does is blend the sounds of East Africa with the Bay Area to create her unique style of Ethio jazz. Her most recent album is When the People Move, the Music Moves Too. Please welcome McLeet to Livewire. <laughs> McLeet, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, it's good to be here. You have this uh, amazing TED Talk that you gave that's been viewed like a million times or something about uh, the sort of beauty of everyday sounds. Yes. Um, uh, for people who haven't seen it, can you kind of describe the thesis? What are you talking about in this presentation? I'm talking about the fact that the world is a musically alive place with or without our intention, that the way we listen lets us experience the world with its natural rhythms and the melodies that are gifted to us constantly as we walk through the world, and that it's a joyful way to listen and to connect uh, not only with the environment but with other people and with a sense of the magic that's around us all the time. I mean, do you feel like very many of us, at least in the U.S., are actually doing that? Nope. <laughs> it almost sounds like it's, in a way, a sort of a form of, of either meditation or just being extremely present. I think of it as like a, a room that I can go to in my thinking, but I also use it as a shortcut. So before the TED Talk, it would be like putting on this hat of thinking of the world as a musically alive place. I would be like, okay, I can put on that hat, that way of thinking, and when I get to that place, I immediately want to write songs. You know, I just immediately want to go to the guitar, go to the piano, go to the karar, get out my lyric book and start writing. It's like an instant way of getting to an inspirational feeling. Do you get nervous before you perform? Well, I think of nervousness as just extra energy. So you just have to know what to do with it. Yeah. You're so centered. <laughs> I really need to hire you as some kind of a life coach. I mean, we could talk about that yeah. if you want to. You know? Well, you, I feel like, I feel like your plate is fairly full right now. By the way, we're talking to McLeet. Uh, because I, I know among the many other things you're already doing that you're now working on uh, a project with Al Jazeera. So we just uh, announced a couple of days ago I'm going to be part of a pilot, hosting a pilot of a show called Movement with Al Jazeera and their new foray into podcasting, which is called Jetty. Um, and it's about global movements of people and the music that follows. It's about border crossing music. What song are we going to hear? We're going to hear a song called Yesterday is a Tizita. This is McLeet on Livewire.
can be a question what if what might have happened behind your eyes a reflection no matter your face your direction they are desertors you just need to hear one your trouble they'll be far away As George Martin's body yesterday I knew it before I pressed play It was his tongue Yes, today is a tongue Yes, today is a tongue Yes, today is a tongue Everyone on this planet We all got it, add it up And it link us whether or not we want it You're no stranger to me Cause you have your tussle We remember it true Oh, we remember for We get the past right Oh, get the past wrong Still it hits us so strong When we have our tussle Because yesterday is a Yesterday is a Yesterday is a So who would I be if I'd stayed? And what kind of a this girl would I have made? Oh, I look back to another past But time only goes in one way Oh, my heart in this way is a tar in my fate Blues by another name Sweetness inside i is a country I left when I was young There's unwritten history and forgotten mother tongue Memories never made and others became a song 
McLeet, right here on Livewire Radio. That's going to do it for our show this week. Thanks to our guests, Cheryl Strayed, Baratunde Thurston, and McLeet. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Whole Foods Market, and... Fully, hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Hatton is our producer and editor. Melanie Sevchenko is our assistant editor. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom, A. Walker Spring, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our long-suffering technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. And our on-air mix is by Corey Shreppel. Thanks, as always, to Carlson Audio. Additional funding by the Oregon Arts Commission, James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by the support of our members. This week, thanks to member Tiffany Fink of Chicago, Illinois, for her support. For more info about our show and how to get our podcast and our newsletter, head over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Public Radio International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And If you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.